got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. Hey. And uh, on today's show, we're just happy that Nick made it here. Because uh, yes. I, was, I was concerned after yesterday you were still oh. going to be working the KU baseball game. Dude, KU baseball, in case you missed it, against Kansas State. 39 run <laughs> between the two teams. 21-18 final score. They played nine innings. The game time was like four hours and 15 minutes, I think, <laughs> in nine innings. I'm honestly, the fact that there was that many runs, I'm surprised it wasn't more than that. Well, the honest. wind was blowing out yeah. at like 40 miles per hour. I mean, it was just insane. Insane game. And sadly, Kansas lost, but, you know, it is what it is. Well, you made it, and I'm happy for that. I did. We're going to be joined by David Lesky at 340 to talk a little Royals baseball. We got Case of the Mondays at 405. Uh, RCST trivia, officially, we are going to push it back. It's going to start next Monday. We'll talk more about that in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, But leading off today's show, the visits are aplenty, or a lot of visit news, at least related to to KU men's basketball that uh, has come out, whether it's over the weekend, today, more stuff, more stuff. Uh, the biggest part... You're visiting somewhere? I'm not visiting anywhere. Okay. I would like to be visiting somewhere. <laughs> if you could go somewhere right now, where would you go? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, the weather outside today is pretty nice, so I'm, I'm pretty content. You're just comfortable here in Kansas. I, I, listen, I like Kansas. I love Kansas. Okay, I've I do too, but if guy. you're giving me the option for anywhere, I'm going to you know Hawaii or something. I mean, I've never been to Hawaii, so I guess I could go there. You guess Maybe. you would go there? Well, I don't. I've never been there. I, I've never been there. How could I guarantee that it's good? Well, I mean, so there's actually, I would want to pick somewhere that I've already been, knowing that it's a good place, so then I know what I'm getting. There is a what chance if I go somewhere and it sucks? that you would not like Hawaii. You've already said before you you think beaches are overrated. I you yeah, think the sand well, is I overrated. Just, I don't like the ocean. Yeah. Okay, so maybe you wouldn't like Hawaii. Maybe that is a bad destination. Beaches are fine. I don't have any problem with beaches. <laughs> beaches are fine. I just, I'm not an ocean guy. Okay. Uh, Harrison Ingram, maybe not an ocean guy. Transferring from Stanford, getting away <laughs> from the bay, maybe comes to Kansas. I mean, how uh, close is Stanford to, like, the ocean? Uh, Palo Alto? Yeah, yeah Palo Alto, you're going to have to drive a little. Okay. Yeah. So not that close. Hour plus, I would imagine. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so... He was originally, the talk last week was that he was going to be visiting like today. Yeah. And now this coming from um, Shea Wildeboer with Jayhawk Slant, uh, former five-star small forward Stanford Cardinal Harrison Ingram has moved his visit to Kansas to April 27th. And here's here's why. This cracks me up. (laughs) Due to his class schedule. So yeah, sometimes when you talk about this kind of stuff, you forget. Oh yeah, the like, crap. There's class. the school part of it. <laughs> but why didn't he realize that from the begin with, dude? Listen, you've been in college. You understand how this stuff works. Okay. Sometimes you're just like, oh yeah, I can totally do that or whatever this, that, and the other. And then you're like, 
wait a second. I have class on that Thursday that I've gone to literally every Thursday this whole semester, but this one time I forgot about it. What if he's just not going to class, but then he just found out that he's supposed to have a test this week? He's like, see, crap. See, yeah, maybe there now was a miss. maybe there was a pop quiz because that, that happens. There that was he always wasn't the kid. There was always the kid in class who like never went to class, and then he would show up one day, and the teacher would be uh, the press would be handing out like tests, and he'd be like, "There was a test." Well, th- a test? that kid, but there was also the kid. Like I always, there were there were always a couple classes that I was in that like there would be the kid who he would never go to class, and he would just make sure he would ask like people in the class to tell him <laughs> when the test was coming up, and then he would just cram studying, and then he'd show up on the day of the test. I don't know if he did well or not, but you know. Um, <clears throat> I don't know, I maybe that Harrison Ingram. I can't tell you how many times I would have like a Tuesday, Thursday class, every, literally every Tuesday and Thursday. And then somebody would say, hey, you know, can you do this, that, or the other on Thursday? And I'd be like, oh, dude, yeah, of course. I'm super down. And then it's like, oh, wait a second. Literally every Thursday the whole semester I've gone to this class, and I, and I, I didn't remember that mm-hmm. one time. Oh, gosh. I love this. So, yeah, uh, the visit would now be next Thursday. I'll say this. Like, I wouldn't freak out as to view this as – Oh no, he's not. Tra- he's waiting to transfer, or not transfer. He's waiting to visit. That implies that he's not that interested in KU, or that KU is going for someone out. Like, no, I. It just it sounds Dude, that simple. They to take me. schools seriously at Stanford. Yeah, they do. Okay, so this is not. You know, this is not. You can't mess around with that. No, you cannot. Honestly, so, I applaud I don't, I don't him for making that a priority. Yeah, I, I don't view much into it. The only thing that's a negative there is I, I think a lot of people are getting to the point where they're. They're hasty. They're they're anxious for that commit to come. And we talked last week that it's not really that concerning that that hasn't come yet. But you're almost waiting for just that first one to fall. So you can at least just be like, well, you know, if we don't get this guy, at least we have him in our back pocket. If what we do, don't get that guy, Derek, at least, what do, you know. what do sports fans hate the most? Uncertainty? Yes. Yeah. And so when they're like, well, I can't know. How am I supposed to predict that Kansas is going to be number one in the country next year when we don't know what our roster is? It's all good. Everything's fine. Everything's okay. Everything is fine. So that one gets delayed to next Thursday, uh, but he's still certainly someone you, you circle and, and someone to watch. Um, Hunter Dickinson is supposed to be visiting at some point later this week. I think on Thursday? Yeah. So that, that becomes the, the biggest visit of all yeah. for this offseason for KU. He is the biggest fish, metaphorically and physically. Yes. Because he's also the largest. Yeah, 7'1", 260 <laughs> pounds, right? So he... Uh, I don't know. He um, is obviously the biggest name in the portal for everyone, and he is the biggest target for KU. I uh, think, as far as the the visit goes, like I don't view this as being one of those visits where you know you're going to expect a commitment like immediately after. This feels more like to me like the Nicholas Timberlake one, where it's going to be a process of all these visits, then kind of weighing every decision and then going through everything. But I, definitely more necessity to get Hunter Dickinson after the news over the weekend. Jesse Edwards, who had put out a top three of Gonzaga, Kansas, and West Virginia, visited West Virginia and committed. By the way, Bob Bob Huggins, kind of cooking in the portal. Is, it, is West Virginia going to be good next year? I think so. Like, yeah. Really good? They got a bunch of guys. Like top three in the Big 12 good? Yeah, they've been getting a lot of guys. I don't know. Big 12 is going to be really good. You Houston, know who's gonna be, Kansas. You know who's going to stank? Hmm. Baylor. I'm still waiting on them to do something. The LJ Cryer's yeah. gone. Flagler, Flagler just now going to the draft. Did you know Flagler, he has a COVID year still. He can play another year if he wanted to. 
Yeah, that, he would put up unbelievable numbers, especially with all those other guys gone. He'd be he'd put up like well, no, twenty five. What a if game. he What if he did uh, like what McCuller did and he went into the draft oh. and then transferred? That'd be a certainly a nice get for someone. <laughs> yeah, uh, that'd be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think now like the the beauty of having Jesse Edwards out there was like okay, this could be a great fallback option if they don't land Hunter Dickinson. Now we're back to that point where it's like. Hunter Dickinson or flop? Yeah, where you do feel kind of, you do kind of feel like it's a it's a boomer bust type situation uh, in that in that sense of there isn't really anybody else quite to that level, and everything from Bill Self that he said, going back to his press conference from a couple weeks ago, indicates that you know he's very serious about going after the top players in the portal. Mm-hmm. Well, Dickinson's literally number one, so. You don't get any better than that. But again, if you're going all in on something like that, you obviously need to need to hit. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. But that'll, uh, without a doubt, be the visit that everybody is 100% circling the most for later this week, at least as of scheduled. Who knows? Maybe there's some class things that come up again. <laughs> uh, Nick Timberlake, Nicholas Timberlake. I wonder if he prefers going by Nick or Nicholas. I think on Twitter it's Nick, but like everywhere you look at his... Like, I don't know, ESPN and his roster and everything. Nicholas, I don't know. Well, dude, okay, listen. As a guy who also has the same situation, Nicholas versus Nick, mm-hmm. sometimes it's tough because you'll, like, go and let's say, you know, for, like, like for example, like my KU student ID or, like, my actual ID or, like, going in to fill out any sort of paperwork. Like, am I supposed to put Nick or Nicholas? Okay, you know? I have a question so, for like, you. Sometimes, so, like, this could be a situation where, like, he just didn't know which one to put, and then he just put whatever, you know, and, like, I don't he know. He just forgets, you know? goes back and forth. Well, I, I, I'm i just saying, like, I, as a guy who has, is in a similar situation, that I have that has happened to me. Okay, is is your name, for full name out, Nicholas, is it spelled N-I-C-K-O-L or something? No, or is it's it like N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S. Okay, well, so that, that makes common, a little more sense. The most common spelling of Nicholas. This is what I don't uh, understand. I, I think. For Nick Timberlake, it is his name Nicholas is N I C O L A S. So why when he abbreviates it to Nick is it N I C K and not N I C N I C? I don't know. And why is it's yours right. not niche? N I C H. Because that's be the shortened stupid. Jersey. <laughs> that's literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire yeah. life. Just asking the questions here. Uh, but yeah, so Nick Nicholas Timberlake, whatever you want to say, he uh, wrapped up his visit with Connecticut over the weekend, and he uh, sent out a tweet last night. He said "Decision Week" with eyeball emojis. So it's, it's decision Decision Week. Um, he's down to those three schools that he just visited: North Carolina, Kansas, and Connecticut. And it seems like to me, it's most likely to be Kansas or Connecticut. I think anytime somebody announces they're going to be committing after the last visit, like people just automatically assume it's going to be that last one. But we've I've talked about last say week that they think it's going to be UConn. But it like, might be. You don't know. It's closer to home for him. They just won the national title. Yeah. Uh, they have proof of like the Joey yeah, Calcaterra I mean, kid. Could you blame him for going to UConn? No, no, not at all. Yeah. So it wouldn't be surprising. If he went to North Carolina. I'd be kind of butthurt, but yeah. But I, I do think that. I, I wouldn't just read into the idea that, like, oh, he's committing after he had this visit. Like, that was the plan all along for him. He was going to go through all these visits and then think through everything. Well, listen, if you're going to go on multiple visits and then commit, that means you're going to have one school that it was your last visit, right? I think so, that would be interesting to see a correlation between when players go on multiple visits, like how always, often they commit to the last one is it always versus the, the first one. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, that, that last impression is, is so important. But that'll obviously be something that we look out for this week, too. Um, because yeah. if he's they the don't best, land Timberlake, yeah. that's... I mean, he's the best shooter in the portal. Yeah. Kansas, certainly with their roster as it is right now, does not have a lot of shooting. That's a, uh, a pretty big need for them. Maybe the biggest need, as we've talked about. And this would be, again, uh, the number one shooter, I think, in the portal at this point. So another possibility for Kansas to get a really, really nice addition. But also, if he ends up going somewhere else, not really a whole lot of great plan B options out there. Yeah. I that we were talking off air before the show, and that is still without a doubt the biggest worry about next year's team. It's the shooting. Yeah, I mean, if I mean, let's say you get Harrison Ingram mm-hmm. and you get Hunter Dickinson, and you get like Primo Spears, and you're rolling out, you're rolling out Dewan, El Marco, KJ Ingram, and Dickinson. None of those guys shoot over thirty five percent from three on like decent volume. I mean, Dewan shot like four over forty percent, but on like one point two threes per game. And Dickinson shot 40% last year, but on, again, 1.7. very yeah. small, very, very small sample size. Yeah, you were looking. Last year, they averaged 23s a game. Basically, yep. it was like 20.1. How are you getting up there right they now shot, this Okay, year? they shot 724 threes last year. Jalen and Grady shot over 400. Yeah, if, you, if DeWan's taking three a game, Dickinson, even if they land him, he's taking two a game. Now you're <laughs> yeah. at five. Uh, El Marco's taking three a game. Now you're at eight. And and Omarco's scouting is not that he's a great shooter. No, no, it's not. Um, let's say you land Harrison Ingram. He takes three a game. Now you're at eleven. Is KJ taking any? Are any of your bench bigs taking no. any? Probably not. Like maybe you're getting a couple a game from KJ some of the attempted, other freshmen coming in there, but I don't know how much they're going to play. KJ attempted three threes yeah. last season. What if what if they just take like what if what if they just like throw it back to OG basketball? They just like no threes, just all I mean, two point shots. Listen. It's it's not that crazy, right? If, I mean, if if that's the lineup yes, you have, it is. you just play really elite defense, and then you just shoot only twos, and you might win all of your games, forty-five to forty. But I feel like that's a horrible strategy in today's it, day and it, age. It probably is. Yeah, it probably is. I, you're but, just asking to run into a team who gets hot from three in the NCAA tournament and have and no ways of keeping up, losing. Yes. Yeah. So that's without a doubt the biggest concern. Uh, other visit news: Primo Spears. He was. Supposed to kind of tentatively visit, I think, later this week. His visit got pushed. Uh, TCU's got pushed as well. Sounds like Primo Spears is going to be visiting next week. I think it was the 25th, which would be next Tuesday. Yeah, so why is he still visiting TCU? I don't know. That's a little weird. TCU already has two guards. Yeah. At least two guards. And and they're waiting on Damian Baugh to come back, possibly. So I don't know why he would want to go there. Spears is another guy that we've talked about off air about how you know he averaged 16 points per game on a bad Georgetown team and if you're bringing him in you would be bringing him in probably as to be like your first guard off the bench basically like he's probably you're not bringing him in to start necessarily and so even even at worst case if he gives you similar production to, to like what Joe and Bobby did last year then I guess that's fine obviously you'd hope for more but and is and I think his ceiling could be higher so he certainly is more of a scorer than like a Bobby type. Mm. And he's coming from Georgetown. Joe came from Drake. So coming from a upper tier, a higher tier school, not a mid-major, could be potentially your first guy off the bench to try to score, I guess. Yeah. I do think that 
you know, where's the Harrison Ingram one? I don't really read much into it. It's like, oh, the, the visit got delayed. It's not that big of a deal. When I see this one getting delayed, there is a little bit of a thought for me that it's pretty clear to me Primo Spears is kind of a secondary option for KU on the transfer portal. And this is one where it's like, hey, let's wait and see what what's going to happen with Nick Timberlake. Let's wait and see what's going to happen with, you know, X player, Y player. And then if we know we're not in the running, then he's kind of our backup option. But That's do you think he's fine with that? Um, I mean, in th- like... I don't think he probably would be happy about it. See, I, well, I, I mean, I'm assuming KU was not telling him, hey, you're our backup option. Right. Like, that's the thing. If these other guys yeah, don't commit be, and we that know that you're, sometimes. we know that you kind of suck and you're maybe not as good as the other guys, then, but if they commit <laughs> somewhere else, we might take you. Yeah. See, I, I don't know. It does happen sometimes in recruiting where coaches will tell the kid, like, hey, we are trying to keep our options open or like we're evaluating every, they'll use flowery language to basically, oh, evaluate not have to great say, word. Yeah, I love that word. To basically not have to say, like, yeah, we, hey, we like you, but we don't love you. We're evaluating. Yeah, like, you know, we're, we're interested in you, but we're waiting to see if... Okay, like, imagine if you did that with your girlfriend. Yeah, you were like, so, you I know, was thinking the same thing. Like, you're on a date. Yeah, and like, like, you know, I like you, know, you, but if I see somebody better coming along... You went on a date with one girl, then you go on a date yeah. with another girl, and you're like, hey, listen, I'm evaluating, right. okay? Just <laughs> to let you know. On? Just to let you know how this is going to go. Um... <laughs> But that that does happen in recruiting, and so I don't know how the language and the conversations go in that regard. But I, I think to me, it is pretty clear that he would be a secondary option that they wouldn't hate to have, but they just like other guys better. I think is the way of putting it. And then here's the last one, and this is the one that I, I kind of have the most to say on. Um, is Artario Morris? I'll save most of what I have to say for the five o'clock hour. We'll talk more about this then, but. Uh, this according to Jayhawk slant that Arterio Morris um, is going to be visiting KU on Thursday, I think is what was reported. Um, so this one a little bit more out of the blue. It just in terms of like we hadn't seen like, oh, the list pops up. You've heard from Kansas or, or whatever. This is a really good, talented kid transfer from Texas, but there's some off the court stuff. There's some, like, domestic violence stuff that's looming large with, like, a a court case right now. And I don't know, man. It's it's, it's a very sticky, weird situation to talk about. So I uh, we do have to take a break here. So I I don't feel like I have properly enough time to fully get into the weeds on this because it is a very – it's not a black and white situation. It's a a very sticky situation. So I don't want to just, you know, gloss over it. Um, So I'll just say that. They're supposed to be a visit later this week with Arteria Morris, which interesting on its own. And uh, yeah, we'll talk more about that at the five o'clock hour. Uh, how about this little breaking news real quick? Marcus Adams Jr. Officially signed with KU. So officially in the 2023 class. Yeah. So we no more questions about did no he reclassify? More, yeah, no more discussions about did he classify? Did he not reclassify? Um, as part of the little graphic that KU tweeted out, six foot eight. 205 pounds. I thought he was listed at more than that. I, I don't remember what he was listed at in terms of the poundage, but basically, I think ideally he's going to be a long-term four-man for you. I've seen some people being like, could he be your starter at the four? Could he play a ton of minutes? I would just say this. The guy who's reclassifying is only 205 pounds. Probably going to take him a little bit of time to get the body right so he can play the four. Will he survive boot camp? 
Well, uh, maybe this makes it more likely to survive boot camp, right? I don't know. Like boot camp, uh, is it all strength stuff? Is it running? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I guess we don't really know. If it's running stuff, then maybe you're in better shape, right? You, I feel like it's got to be a lot of strength stuff, though, because they always yeah. do the flex thing at the at the end. That's true. That was a Mitch Lightfoot special. <laughs> all right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. David Lesky will join us in about 15 minutes. We'll be back in AGF. This is RCST. Welcome back in. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We're joined now by David Lesky inside the crown. Subscribe to his Substack. Uh, me and Nick were just having the conversation. The Royals were swept by the Atlanta Braves. I said they got mollywopped over the weekend. Lost game one and game two by a collective 13 runs. Nick says, no, it was not a mollywopping because they only lost by one on Sunday. David, would you like to weigh in? Was it a mollywopping? Oh, boy. I didn't know that I would have to take sides right away. Um, I'm going to say I think I side with Nick because, Mm. gosh, I don't know. I go back and forth. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that because um, I don't want to be a a flip-flop Molly Walker. Um, Molly, I said it wrong. God, no. Uh, (laughs) No, I, um, um, you know, they, they were in... Yesterday was obviously close, and they were they were in Saturday until very late. So, unfortunately, to be Molly Watt, I believe you have to just be out of it completely, so and they were not. So was, I'm sorry. That's what I was telling Derek. It's like, hey, if you're in the last game, you did not get Molly Watt for the whole series. You may have gotten Molly Watt for well, a game or two. And I mean, they were they weren't even really Molly Watt on Saturday. They were Molly Watt in the eighth and ninth innings. So, sorry, Derek. Uh, two yeah. against one. All I'm saying is if you extrapolate out that three-game series into 162 games, the Braves go 162-0. I would count. No. Um, I don't know what it is. The Royals are struggling at home so far. Uh, Tinfoil hat, is this on purpose to try to further convince a different stadium? (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those things, hey, play poorly, and then people will say, we don't want you at the stadium anymore. No, um, It's interesting because... I wrote about this last week. Was it last week? Yeah, last week. Um, before they went on the road trip, and the my thought process, and this is this is very similar to what happened to the 2012 team, is that they got off to a bad start at home, and it became one of those things. This young team wants to do well for the home crowd, and then it gets, you know, the whole George Brett thing. Try easier. Uh, he talks to me. He's not the only one, but he's he's the one who swing swing softer, swing less, or whatever it is that to get to hit the ball harder. All that. Um. When more harder you try, the more likely you're going to fail. When you try to hit a home run, you generally don't. You know, <laughs> it's stuff like that. And and it feels like they were really, you know, every every inning that they didn't score, every game they didn't win, all that, it became just one a little bit harder, a little bit harder, a little bit harder trying to, to get that done for the home crowd. And then they go on the road, they win the first two, they win three out of six. Three and three road trip is what you want, you know. <laughs> Hey, talking about you win two out of three at home and, and split on the road. Well, the Royals have split on the road. And they have not won two out of three at home. I think that, and there's there's a lot going into it. I think they've played really good teams at home. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's a big part of it. I think you know, I had the Blue Jays winning the World Series, the Twins winning the Central, the Braves winning the East. Um, the Braves, I mean, they, they might be the best team in baseball right now, and the Royals are not. So it it. it you know, I, I think some of it is schedule based. I think some of it is timing based. I think some of it is just pure talent based. It's just there's a lot, 
a lot going against the Royals right now. Is there any, I don't know, happiness earned by the fact that at least it's, you know, not Cal Eldred anymore and, and the disaster of what is going on with the Oakland A's pitching staff with him as their <laughs> pitching coach? Yeah, I mean, he's not their pitching coach. It looks like he is. It seems okay. like he is. Um, what are they, 17? Is that right? 17 walks on Friday, I think it was. I don't know. It doesn't. It, look, Calder's gone. That's, that's the important thing. Um, and, and, yes, they gave up a lot of runs. And I think that the Royals this past weekend, I think the Royals have been pretty clear that, hey, if we're throwing strikes, we are going to be uh, somewhat happy. You know, I, I don't think that it necessarily matters. I mean, it matters, obviously, if, if they aren't, if they're, if, they're, if they're giving up runs. But they walked nine guys in 27 innings over the weekend. Last year, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I guess I could look really quickly. I don't, I don't want to even know the number of times they walked nine guys, guys in a single game. It was more than once. Um, I, I would be pretty, pretty confident. I'm, I'm going to look it up real quick because now I have to know. Um, they walked nine or more guys in a game five times last season. And they walked nine guys in three games against a really good offense in the Braves. So they have made no bones about it. They're going to give up some runs sometimes. I mean, they're giving away a bonus if you give up a first-pitch home run. <laughs> like, like, that's one of those things that makes no sense until you realize they are all about throwing strikes, and then they'll, they'll take it from there. So that's, that's the optimism, I guess. Uh, obviously, Chris Bubich, the latest there, is uh, of interest for, for a myriad of different ways. I guess starting with this, uh, we, we saw some real improvements from Bubich at the beginning of the season. And is it at all, and I, I know obviously the injury itself, very not encouraging, but is that at least a little bit encouraging to the idea of that, well, he didn't look as good, but it is injury-related as opposed to it being something performance-based or that he just couldn't keep doing what he was doing. Yes. I think that's, I think it's important that there was a reason that he looked like he did. And and the interesting thing about it is he's only walked one batter. He threw 64 strikes and a hundred pitches. Um, that's still different. Even, even feeling that pain, um, you know, of course, if it ends up being Tommy John, which hey, it could be, you know, these injuries often lead to Tommy John, so we'll see. Um, that if that's the case, it's a very, very small uh, victory uh, in in the story of Chris Bubich. But the other thing, and I wrote this this morning. I don't know if this is true or not, but um, he is at about the point in his spring where a lot of pitchers get a dead arm. Um, they, toward the end of spring training, there's a lot of guys who have a little bit of a dead arm. People don't worry about it because they don't notice it when they're not pitching at the end of spring training. But he didn't pitch until March 11th, I think it was. So you know, maybe a little bit. I don't. Know, I don't know if that's the case. I'm. I'm holding out hope that's what it is. But um, you know, even not at his best, he was doing things that he didn't do when he was fully healthy in the past throughout his career. So there's still some encouraging signs. Again, they all go away if it's Tommy John. And then he doesn't pitch again until it's April. So the all-star break next year, I think would be, would be when you'd expect to see him again. Um, not great, obviously. So, um, you know, we'll hold out hope there, but if, if it is just a minor setback, 
I, I think there's something to take away from that, that even, even with the, the, the lesser velocity, the, the rough performance, he still was, he was still throwing strikes, which is, again, that, that, that's the main goal for the staff this year is to throw strikes. When you look at how it went down, where he you know, clearly had the lost velocity early on in the game, and uh, he, he said afterwards he was feeling you know, tightness in his forearm. Who knows if that was something that he said after, if he portrayed it you know, in the actual uh, dugout to, to everyone. But uh, there were some comments from Matt Quattraro, the, the manager for the Royals, about, um, I don't know, uh, that they didn't really think much of it at, at the time necessarily. Is that worrisome at all that you have this new staff kind of taking over and, and maybe they didn't read the signs right on, on something that could be very bad? Hugely worrisome. Um, you know, I, I don't want to be that guy to say, well, was, nope, they're terrible. But you're right. We don't, we don't know if Bubich said anything early. He said, he, he said after the game that he felt it early. We don't know if the coaching staff knew that. But there should have been a red flag with the velocity because he was throwing 89-90 in the first inning and he hadn't done that yet this year. In spring training, um, we don't get a lot of velocity in spring training, but from what I understand, he was throwing 92-93 from pitch one, basically. Um, it should have been a concern. They should have said, hey, are you okay? Now, if Chris Bubich said, hey, it's just a coal oil, I don't, I'm fine, they, they don't have x-ray eyes. So, you know, we, we don't know what was that. We don't know the actual conversations that were had. But if there was a conversation and Chris Lubitsch said, yeah, I'm a little tight, but I feel okay, I think that's a bad choice, especially to let him go 100 pitches. Um, if it, let's say he comes back in in the first inning and says, I'm a little bit tight, but I feel I think it's the weather. I'm, I'm going to go out there and try it again in the second inning. At that point, you got to say, okay, we can try it one more time, but we're not going to – that's it. Um, I also wouldn't have a problem if they said, no, don't, we're not going to even try it. But – to go five innings and 100 pitches, that's – I have questions. Uh, I mean, um, it, it's not a good look. It's not a good look for a guy to go out there and do that. And then especially when you pulled him after 76 pitches in six innings in his last start, I, I get it completely. But that that's a, not what you want to see. So, um, yeah, I, I, have, I definitely have some questions about that. On the hitting side – do, do you think it's possible that Vinny Pasquitino could go down as the best hitter the Royals have ever developed, potentially? Um, I mean, for an organization that developed George Brett, that would be difficult. But that said, I oh boy, I'm going to say something stupid. Um, <laughs> it's not impossible. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I look, you look at what George Brett did in his career, and I'm I would not predict this. I think that there is a 2% chance that Vinny Pasquantino ends up with a better, with better offensive numbers rate wise than George Brett. I, I'm not saying it's not saying it's likely, not saying it's even remotely likely, but it's possible. And George Brett hit 305, 369, 487, uh, 135 OPS plus in his career. Great hitter. Obviously the best, Ever in franchise history, Vinny Pasquantino. It's only 88 games, uh, so this is sacrilege. But 293, 83, 465, 139 OPS plus. Now he hasn't had the decline phase, all that. Um, so there's that's why it's just highly, 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 highly unlikely. But he is the first hitter in a long, long time that there is 
in my opinion, a chance that he ends up the best hitter in franchise history. Okay, I, let's let's say won't, let's, but. let's say twenty years down the road, you know, Vinny does is able to maintain what he's done this at to this point, and the numbers are pretty comparable. But do you think overall team success would come into come into play at all here? Like, let's say Vinny has the same numbers, but the Royals never win the World Series, and they're just kind of not very good versus what Brett had. I mean, does that would that play into a conversation? You think you might have twenty years down the road? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think that. There's nothing quite like your first, right? And so I, I feel like no, it's going to take – you can't just be a little bit better than a guy. You've got to be a lot better. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of an example of, of a team. Tim Salmon for the Angels, not in George Brett's category. 100, so we'll forget. Don't even think about that. But he was the best hitter in franchise history. And Mike Trout has come along. And I'll show him too. But Mike Trout has come along, and it's not even close. I mean, you've got to have you got to blow a guy out of the water to to move from best to to, to take him off the best line. Um, so yeah, I mean, Benny is going to have to hit three fifteen and hit four hundred home runs and win two World Series. You know, it, it, it he's got to do a lot more. And the other thing that George Brett did that that I think is underrated is he played up until the end. He toward the end he played defense. And Vinny Pasquantino is never going to be an elite defender. He's just not. So, I know, I know you're talking about the bat only, but um, it's going to take – he has to be more than 4% better, <laughs> I think, to, to end up better in the mind of, of the general public. Um, but I think the important thing here is we're looking at a guy who, as of right now, is looking like uh, the third best hitter they've developed ever. Um I argue second, and I think anywhere anywhere from like third, second to sixth, I think you could argue. But it's he, he's it's impressive what he's done. It's it's uh, it's, it's rarefied air for the Royals right now. Uh, and this is something you just talked about in one of your latest pieces on Inside the Crown. Uh, Royals have been struggling with hitting with runners in scoring position. What do you kind of account for that? And I mean, is it anything that's predictive moving forward? Um, I think I think a couple things have happened. One, it's pretty clear they're pressing. Um, they're swinging a lot more. They're whiffing a lot more, which is team, teams generally swing and miss more with runners in scoring position than with nobody on. But the Royals went, have gone from, I think they're 12th in, in swing and miss with nobody on, and they're second, or maybe third. I can't remember what, what it was, with runners in scoring position. So, that's a pretty decent sign that a team is pressing. I think there are other big issues. I think the lineup just isn't deep enough. So you get into a lot of situations where who gets on base, it's the hitters who you would want up with runners in scoring position, but they're the ones who get on. So they need somebody to drive them in. And I mean, when you're hitting Kyle Isbell fifth, there's a problem with the lineup. And I like Kyle Isbell. I, I think Kyle Isbell is a really good player who you can – win championships with if he's hitting eighth or ninth. If he's hitting fifth, you've got a problem. And they they just need more good hitters. And uh, does Drew Waters provide that when he comes back? Maybe. Um, is Tyler Gentry the guy in AAA? Maybe. Is it Nick Lofton or Michael Garcia or Samad Taylor? I don't know. Um, but they just don't have enough competent, good big league hitters right now. You get past that top four, and it's kind of a crapshoot on any given night. So, that's a bigger problem right now. I think it's fixable in the long term because the 2023 season, that's what this what's for. It's to figure out 
what they have, what they don't have, what they need. And if, if we get to the end of the year and the same thing is happening where you get past Salvador Perez or past Latino or whoever's hitting fourth and you the and the pitcher can breathe for five batters, okay. Well, they gotta go out and they gotta sign two hitters. Um I don't care where they play, they they'll figure that out, but they need to sign two, maybe three guys who can give good big league at bats and they're not going to be – look, the, the Guardians had a pretty good offense last year. They went out and signed Josh Bell. Um, I haven't honestly haven't even looked to see how he's doing. but Not well he, so far. No, I, I think because no. he – I figured it, I would have heard about it because I was one of the few who said, that I don't care if they don't sign Josh Bell, and people thought I was crazy. And I'm like, hey, he's, he's very streaky. Um, so I, I feel like I would have been blown up if he was hitting well. But um, – they, they need to, they, they're going to need to go out and get somebody. And that's okay because they, I've said this before too, they could lose every game the rest of the season and still find a reason that 2023 is successful. And it's successful if they are able to figure out what they need to compete in 2024. Because, and not necessarily for a playoff, they, they need to finish 500 next year. Like they, they need to win 81 games in 2024, and they need to be competing for a playoff spot by 2025. It, that's as simple as that. Um, it's, I think it's realistic, um, but it's realistic with moves, and, and that's what they need to figure out this year. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest problems for our scoring position is there's the guys who you would think would do well with in those situations generally are the ones who are on base <laughs> because they only have four guys you can really count on. So... They just have to lengthen that lineup a little bit. Well, to be a bit more positive, um, what's something that um, maybe is going against the Royals right now? And maybe maybe that's the answer: the run, hitting with runners in scoring position that feels like it's due to maybe turn soon. I mean, that's one of those things. The, the big thing I, I'll say this a million times: the schedule has not been their friend. <laughs> they have played sixteen games and. Nine of the or thirteen of them are against teams over five hundred. Um, what what is it? Seven, ten of them are against no. Are the Rangers still in first place? I don't know. I, I think I think all thirteen are against teams in first place. Or no, the Blue Jays aren't. That's right because the Rays are off to that great start. But they played a lot of really good teams. Um, the one team they've played that is below five hundred is the team they won a series from. So. I, I think that you can take some solace in that. I think that that will turn. Their May looks a lot easier than their April, and the end of their April looks a lot easier than the beginning of their April. So there's an opportunity for some wins there. You can subscribe to his Substack. He's doing some uh, really cool promotions right now, so check them all out. David Lesky, Inside the Crown. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, one hour down, two to go. We'll be back with Case of the Mondays next. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How am I supposed to calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. 
This is your case of the Mondays here. Who is having a case of the Mondays? Who's maybe feeling it a little extra coming into work today? We start (laughs) out with Missouri Rugby. Because Kansas absolutely, I mean, this is uh, Molly Whopping. This is Molly Whopping. <laughs> Kansas beat Missouri in rugby 82 to 5. Oh, that sucks, Missouri. <laughs> 82 to 5. Wow. That's embarrassing. I've been to a couple is there different. Is not a mercy rule in rugby? <laughs> no. Like, what? I mean, I've been to a couple different rugby games and, and they've ended more toward like scores that are like, I don't know, 20 to, you know, 13 or something like that. Dude, this is like when I was nine years old and I would sim NCAA football 12 or whatever. And I'd play against the lowest level yeah, of difficulty. And I, would, and I would play FCS Midwest and beat them 100 to 10. Yeah, that's what they did. Um, yeah, I think Missouri needs some help with their rugby. It was cool, too. So we're going to have Andy Stewart on for a uh, – we have a Johnny's Tavern KU Club interview with KU Hockey later in the show, later this hour. Uh, we're going to have another interview with the Rugby Club coming next week. We're going to talk with Andy Stewart. It was his final game as the head coach. Uh, he's going to be moving away and everything. Yeah, he's That's a cool to, way to go out. He's moving to I think it was Switzerland, Sweden? right? Oh, Switzerland? Yeah. One of the was... <laughs> um, he, Dude, that is disrespectful to Sweden slash Switzerland. Well, uh, that's a great way to go out, right? You beat your rival yes. school 82 to 5. Oh, and what are they going to do about it? Because that's one of those things where, like, you play them next year and they're going to be mad about it and stuff. And it's like, well, I'm not going to be there. Yeah, exactly. exactly. 82 to 5. That's incredible. Uh, Cal Eldred. Or, or I'm sorry. Uh, Oakland, Oakland's chance of keeping the A's are uh, having a case of the Mondays here on KLWN. So uh, if you missed it over the weekend, the Oakland A's played the New York Mets, and the New York Mets TV broadcast um, had to, to move where their broadcast booth was um, because there was a there's a possum that's been living, living in the visiting team's broadcast booth at the Oakland A's stadium. And so when they walked in and the person came in to you know start setting up equipment, there was just like possum poop all over the floor and everything. And so they couldn't do it there. So they had to move to this smaller room where there was like a pole right in front of them and stuff like that. So well, and again, I think the important part of the story is that this possum has supposedly been living in the yes. opposing video bo- uh, broadcast booth for like over a year. And they won't and they do anything about it. They haven't it. done anything about it. Like yeah. what? That, that is the definition of what are we doing? Yes. We're not doing anything. This That's is a problem. major league baseball team. A major league baseball team that makes like, millions get, and millions of dollars. You can't get Joe Schmo's exterminator team out there to handle it. You of course know? they can. The fat guy with the mustache going well, out. That's what this all comes down to. This all comes down to the Oakland A's are, are trying to make it look like, oh, why would we not leave? This is a dump. You know why it's a dump? Because they're they're not investing any money in it. I think they were uh, top five last year in revenue made because they didn't spend any money. They yeah. they were as cheap as could be in doing stuff like this. Well, it's like that meme where the guy's like, we're all trying to find the guy who did yeah. this. And it's them. It's them. Literally them. It is them. It's like, man, I can't believe Oakland is not supporting the baseball. And it's like, what do you mean? You're <laughs> the ones who are screwing this up. Um, it has gotten so much to a point that, you know, this isn't Oakland's fault in terms of the... Like the city or the people. Yes, exactly. The city or the people or, um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 just the owner is trying to make excuses of ways that they can be like, well, why would we not take uh, moving to to Las Vegas here? And um, it's it's gotten to a point. There was a, a 
banner that some of the fans hung out in right field on Sunday that said, stop blaming us. <laughs> That's incredible. I don't know that if they got it taken down or what. That is sad. And now there's there's talk about the A's trying to do a um, reverse uh, protest, a reverse riot, or not riot, yeah, reverse protest <laughs> to where instead of them not showing up to the game, they sell it out. It's like a reverse, a reverse strike. Yes, like exactly. You're, by You're striking by selling it out. Yeah. But to, honestly, I don't think that's going to help anything because then the owner's just going to be like, dude, this is great. We're sold out. We're just making more money. I guess. And they're still so going to really, move to Vegas? Yeah, like you don't really, it's kind of a lose-lose. I yeah, like. I, I guess it kind of is. I think the point is that Ace fans just want the... Like the collective sports world, yes, to to, know to notice that, that like, hey, this not, is not us. Yeah, like that. It's not that. It's not their fault. Because yes. if you think about it, Oakland fans slash the city has kind of had it rough lately. I mean, the Raiders leave. You know, that's the the people. I feel like people kind of Golden State was played there and left, right? So yeah, they're in San Francisco now. Yeah. Um, here's my thing with this though. Like, so when when the Raiders moved to Las Vegas, the Raiders have always been a big brand. And it's a salary cap in the NFL. Um, when the Warriors moved to San Francisco or whatever, like they were already spending a ton of money when they were in Oakland, the, the ownership. The owner with the A's now has never spent a lot of money. It's always been, that's why, you know, you go back to the movie, like Moneyball and stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Are we to think that when they go to Las Vegas, they're, sure, they'll probably spend more than they're spending now, but that they're going to all of a sudden be one of the like high payroll teams? Doesn't no, that not work well if you're in Vegas? still suck. Like, couldn't you imagine? Like, the people in okay. Vegas are going to hate that. You know what they should do? They should hire Brad Pitt to be the general manager in real life. <laughs> you think he's picked up enough from just being That's like a method actor? Well, dude, if Brad Pitt was their general manager, it would be the, the games would be sold out every every day. Would they? It's not like he's acting for everyone. Well, I don't know. You get him out there and I don't know. Have him say some beanball stuff, <laughs> some money ball stuff. Do you think if Brad Pitt? You know, just posted on social media one day. He's like, hey, <laughs> I uh, am going into this nearby, I don't know, community college football stadium, and I'm just going to speak at the 50-yard line for 15 minutes. Do you think it would it would fill up with people? Mm, maybe. I don't think it would. You don't think it would? I don't think it would. I, I think people would be like, why Why do I need to go to this? Like, what am I going to, what am I taking? There would this? definitely be more people, though, than normal. There would be right? people that would go. There would be, sure. There'd be paparazzi. There'd be people there who would go. go to try to get like autographs or pictures. So there you go. I don't think it would sell out. They'd be like, what? Like, yeah, what's going than, on okay, here? Okay, but right. what if he decided he was going to be the head coach of that team? I bet you then there'd be more people. No, I, mm, I I think it'd be interesting for like a monitoring situation. Like <laughs> I'd be interested to monitor. How are the <laughs> Oakland A's doing? But am I specifically going out of my way to be like, because in the MLB, the manager is just like, okay, I set the lineup. Like, oh, I'm going to take the pitcher out. It's like, what are you actually watching them do? You know? Well, that's the thing. He'd have, to, he'd have to, like, he'd have to do some Moneyball stuff. Like, some stuff from the movie. That would be funny. That would make people go. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? I guess. <laughs> I, uh... I feel like you don't love the idea. No, I don't. I really don't. But, hey, if the A's would want to do anything at this point, it's it's better than, than what they're currently doing. Or at least trying more than their currently lack of trying. The Arizona Cardinals are having a case of the Mondays. So, for a while, uh, you know, the, the DeAndre Hopkins stuff is it's still hanging out there. Um, which, by the way, uh, honorary case of the Monday for words because uh, there was this video with like CBS Sports 
Yeah. They were doing this like interview with him, and they asked DeAndre Hopkins to like they, they said four uh, different NFL teams. Yeah. And they said, "Don't say anything. Just give us like a, a facial or, or whatever expression, body language. Yes, about your thoughts on that team." And uh, it was the it was the Patriots, the Jets, the Bills. Yeah, and Chiefs. Patriots and Jets. He basically gave looks like no, thank you, and yes. the Bills and Chiefs were like, yes, please. <laughs> um, so anyway, so they're already dealing with that stuff. Now Buda Baker. So I mean, Hopkins is probably their best player on offense. Buda Baker might be the best defensive player on defense. He's yeah. up there. Yeah, he's now requesting a trade. Yeah, just uh, things. Listen. I think the this to me circles back to they they swung and missed on their head coaching hire, Jonathan. What's his face? Like he that didn't inspire anything. I don't even know his name. So that I mean that they missed there. Obviously, I can just tell you I can tell you already they missed there, and they haven't played a game yet. I mean, am I being too harsh? Uh, probably not. I mean, they haven't really earned the uh, yeah. Like what? Like benefit what of we, the doubt. What are we? What are we doing here? I don't know. Okay, and you're, and you're not going to get a good haul for Hopkins. For Baker, I don't know what you might get. Yeah, there's talk now that they're. I they're mean, just we had cut him. We had Jesse Newell on last week, and yeah, there, there's talk now that they're just going to cut him. <laughs> Which might not like, get anything for him. You're going to cut an All Pro top five receiver potentially. Yeah. That'd be funny. Uh, case of the Mondays for the Tampa Bay Rays started 13-0, but guess what happened over the weekend? They lost two games. They lost for the first time. Oh, that sucks, Tampa Bay. And now Jeffrey Springs is out for two months, who was looking like a real Heisman candidate. Or not Heisman, Heisman? I'm sorry. Cy Young candidate what? early on in the season. They got a Heisman award now, and then they'll be? Well, with Kyler Murray, once he left the MLB, they decided to cross over awards. No, um... Yeah, he was looking like a Cy Young candidate. Imagine if uh, Kyler Murray had decided to play for the A's instead of playing for the Cardinals. Do you think he'd be up in the MLB by now? Or would he still be in the minors? He would, he would be up, I would think, by now, right? Yeah, I guess there's a chance that he know. just busted and was never good. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. That That is an interesting hindsight. Like, what happens with the Cardinals at this point? What if the Cardinals... Yeah, they would be... Would be horrible. Yep, they would have been bad. Well, remember they had. I mean, a couple years ago they were good, right? But that so wouldn't have would have been bad. <laughs> maybe they would have ended up with like a different quarterback. I mean, who yeah. was? I'm trying to think who was the number two quarterback in the draft. They would taken. have had like whoever was behind Trevor Lawrence, or like whoever was behind Justin Fields. No, because they took Kyler Murray first in the 2019 draft. So like, what I'm saying is that would they have just taken the second best quarterback first overall that year? Oh, in the 2019 draft. It was uh, Daniel Jones. Imagine that world. Dwayne Haskins. Daniel is Jones three, is a cardinal. That feels like so weird. You don't like now, that? Now there is another world where they take the number two pick in that draft was Nick Bosa, and the number three pick was Quinn and Williams. If they take one of those two guys, they're probably in a little better shape. But they would. But then they, we don't know who the they quarterback obviously is. would not have taken one of those guys, right? Unless they I were would think so. Maybe. They've just taken Josh Rosen. What if, they, what if they decided we're going to take Nick Bosa and just tank for Trevor? That's okay. I think that's what ends up happening here. Josh Rosen was their first round pick the year before. They take Nick Bosa or Quinn and Williams at that point. Yeah. And then they ride it out with Josh Rosen for a year, find out he sucks. 
And then they end up with a high pick because Josh Rosen was their quarterback for a full year. And then, yeah, they end up with like Trevor Lawrence. So actually, they'd be in really good shape. Yeah. They'd have yeah, Trevor Lawrence and Nick Bosa. They should have They should have told Kyler, stay hey, in the MLB, dude. Go play for wow. the Oakland A's. <laughs> anyway, Man. yeah. And Kyler Murray race. would be $100 million less rich. And Tex- play for the A's. <laughs> Texas football <laughs> is having a case of the Mondays. Their savior, Arch Manning, came into the spring game. Five of 13 for 30 yards. That sucks, Arch. Okay, can I just get something off my chest? Yes. I hate the name Arch. Hate it. Despise it. Would you feel better or worse if you went by Archibald? (laughs) Archibald Manning. I would feel a little better, honestly. Really? I think Arch. Why can't he just go by Archie? I mean, I understand that was the name of his... better. I understand that that was, you know, his grandpa at this point. But, like... Well, I don't. What I don't understand. Why can't we just? Okay, what, yeah. Like, so if we're power ranking, I I agree. Like, I think Archie is best. Arch for me is two. I I think Archibald has to be three. <laughs> no, because <laughs> it's just so no, ridiculous. Archibald is like it's so unique that it's good. I think. No, Archibald Manning is a <laughs> professional accountant from England. I don't know. Why I said professional. It's just an accountant. Um, no, I no. think that's the best one because it's like so different. Arch is just stupid. Like, ar- like Arch? What do you mean Arch? If you're ever gets an arch- good, what? he's going to get a sponsorship from McDonald's, right? Like the Golden, the golden Arches. arches. Yep. The Golden Arch, right? No, it's stupid. I do think it is a little yeah, funny like, how much me- people are overreacting to his spring performance. I mean, he's he's 17 years old. He enrolled early into college football. He's he's not going to be the starter this year. It's going to be Quinn Ewers. It's be Quinn Ewers, yeah. And then he'll have like a year to, well, to sit okay. back. Like, I don't... Okay. Fine. Is this... Maybe it's... Is this... Do you think the narrative is changing with with guys like Trevor Lawrence and stuff? Where, you know, in it, in college football, like generally speaking, a true freshman doesn't just come in and mm-hmm. is immediately like one of the best players in college football, right? Yeah. But so why do people start? Why are people thinking that now? Is it because of like the Trevor Lawrence's of the world, where they just come in and are automatically the best, or I don't know? Probably a little of that. Probably a little of just the name recognition. Like you expect him. Oh, if he's a Manning, he <laughs> oh, should be that good. Archibald you know? Manning. It's the yeah, same thing with, with Bronny good. James, LeBron's kid. Like it, it, he was a McDonald's All American. He had a you know solid push at the end of his final year of high school. Like by all accounts, if if he was just I don't know. Bronny Smith, whatever. Bronny <laughs> Smith. Bronny you know? Jones. Bronny, yeah, sure. Bronny Jones. If he was just Bronny Jones, he goes to a college somewhere, probably has like a, I don't know, pretty good first year. Maybe stays for second year of college. Maybe he goes pro, right? Um, and then that's just that, right? That's just his career. But because he's LeBron's kid, the expectation is like, oh, he better be like amazing or he's just, oh, no, he's overrated. He's only ranked that high because of the name. I, I don't know where, where the two kind of link between there. but I, lo- I love Bronny Jones. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think it'll be fine. It was just one dumb spring game. Okay. Feeling young. I mean, not just because Arch Manning is now in college football. Yeah, but, Arch Manning, yeah. Uh, all around, Antonio Gates Jr. caught a touchdown in the spring game for Michigan State. Wow. And Darren, this, this is the real one. Darren McFadden Jr. is a 2026 prospect visiting Illinois. Dude, that's so bad. Darren McFadden was on the cover of NCAA football 07, I think. 08? Somewhere in that range. Um, I like, mean, that, I played that. It does not feel that long ago that Darren McFadden was playing yes. football. 
Yes. And now he has a kid who is being recruited well, at the Antonio Gates level. Senior didn't retire until like two years ago. Yeah. At least that one you can be like, well, he did play till he was like forty. He had <laughs> he was kids old. while he was playing. And right? he was old. Yeah. Yeah. That one's that one's wild to me. Uh, Kevin Durant is feeling a case of the Mondays. The Suns lost to the uh, Clippers, and yep. you know CP3. I guess maybe he could throw him up here because he hasn't been the poster boy for playoff success. Uh, but Kevin Durant has now lost seven straight playoff games, and that one's got to sting even more because it was against Russell Westbrook, who went three for nineteen. Yeah, does Kevin Durant and suck? Paul George is injured? Does Kevin Durant suck now? I mean, he played well. He just maybe he's been in the wrong situations. I don't know, man. Did I don't you know. see the stuff after the game with Russ where he like went into a fan suite? I thought that was like, at halftime or something. Oh, I thought I, it was I saw the, the video. Game. I didn't. Okay, I thought it was after the game. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Where I don't he know. like went in that went into the guy's suite and was like, I'm "Russell Westbrook." I think Russell Westbrook is like always angry. That's my opinion on that. But yeah, Kevin Durant, man. Should Russell Westbrook seek anger management next on RCSD? Mm. Celebrations gets a case of the Monday. This one was wild. Okay, so Florida was playing Georgia in baseball. The Florida pitcher strikes out a guy to end an inning and, like, kind of flexes, like, after he strikes him out. You know, like, regular pitcher stuff flexes as he's, like, walking off the field. Well, the home plate umpire said, no, no, no. No flexing in my game. You're gone. See ya. Okay? Throws him out, right? Crowd's like, boo, boo. Everyone hates it. Crowd hates it. Later in the game, Jack... Caglianone, I, I think is how you say it, the uh, hitter for Florida. He hits a grand slam, and he proceeds to very calmly walk the bases, never smiled, never did anything, just completely showed no emotion, walked all the way back, straight to the dugout, didn't celebrate with anybody, did nothing in an attempt to, I guess, uh, mock the the umpire for throwing out his boy uh, for flexing after a, after a strikeout. So, case of money for celebrations, and just, dude, I, umpire, what are we doing? Like, dude, everybody knows you're an umpire. You don't have to throw anybody out. You're like, oh, look at me, guys. I'm the umpire. I can point and throw guys out. Cool. Sweet. I think uh, I actually want to go the other way with this. I think the umpire should be able to, for just whatever reason, throw out one player on each team at the beginning of every game. Just just to say. Just at random. Just, just to impose their will. I don't like your haircut. Yeah. You're gone. You're gone. You're too tall. But he gone. does have to have, like, some reason, you know? Like, like he has to explain, like you said, you're too tall. You're, um, your haircut's bad. Yeah, sure. You throw too many balls. I don't like I don't your wanna... sunglasses. <laughs> I don't it. like your uniform. Yeah, it would add intrigue, right? I mean, talk about the randomness going into every game. You'd be like, oh no, is are we going to be able to pitch our ace today, or is he going to get ejected before the game starts? Um, wow, that's, that's a terrible really idea. Dumb. That's a terrible idea. Case of the Mondays: other teams paying quarterbacks. Because Jalen Hurts got a five-year, $255 million extension. A lot of money. We'll see how that affects the Eagles. Um, as we've yeah. seen many times, uh, there will be quarterbacks who are good on rookie contracts, but once they get paid a bunch, and now you can't afford to have... The A.J. Brown. Right, and, and make some of these luxury moves Fletcher to make you Cox's. better. All of a sudden, they drop off a little bit. Again, this adds yeah. to the idea of the Patrick Holmes deal. Great for the Chiefs. Uh, but this move for Jalen Hurts, his extension comes in before Justin Herbert and before Joe Burrow, okay. how they're going to get paid more. How long before you think Mahomes goes to the Chiefs and is like, hey, we need to redo this so that I can be paid a lot? Probably at some point. Uh, probably not right now. So I, I think right now he actually does have the biggest cap hit for this season among quarterbacks. Well, the deal is, I mean, he's got a bajillion uh, sponsorships. Yeah. He, he's literally an owner of like half the sport teams in <laughs> Kansas City, not including the Chiefs. Yeah. 
And maybe that'll just be what they do. They'll be like, no, you know, we'll, we won't. Yeah, we'll just give you salary cap. Here, no, okay. you can just have ownership. Yeah, why can't they do that? Why can't they just be like, I here, feel like every that year, would be a big problem with the NFL that other teams would be like, no, you can't do that. You can't offer like a stake in your team. No, because like, other think about if you were another team, you'd be like, no, screw you. Like why? Uh, because you'd be like they're averting the salary cap in other ways. It'd be the same thing as no, if no, no, like, no. You still make it count or whatever somehow, but you just say we're going to give you five percent ownership for. I mean, the next you know whatever. So, so I, I don't or hate like the manipulation you the, if you can. We're going to give you the equivalent value. Uh-huh. So we're going to give you five percent ownership like long term, and we're going to give you the equivalent value of what that would be right now as your contract. Well, I mean, this is it's the same theory that like um, the Patriots had well, dude, a okay. Swiss bank account for Tom Brady when well, he was being underpaid, and that they were just you know. Well, and there was the story the the Broncos actually tried to do that with John Elway. They tried to offer him like a stake in the Broncos to, sign, to stay with them. Yeah, I, this goes in line with my uh, my theory of a, an NBA team should make a player a player coach because coaches' salaries don't count against the salary cap, right? Yeah. So you make, let's say you, you sign LeBron James. You sign LeBron James as an this assistant coach James would slash player. Do. Right. So he's something he would do. So LeBron, if he makes $50 million a year, you pay him $50 million as an assistant coach and you pay him the league minimum as a player. And now you have an extra $50 million to work with in the salary cap. It would take an owner that's willing to pay the extra money, but I mean, I feel like perfect if, dude, if LeBron's listening to this show, he would try that. So if LeBron, if you're out there, try this. But if you do try it, you got to credit us. All right. He is uh, Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That is Case of the Mondays. We are going to uh, get to a Johnny's Tavern KU Club interview coming up next with the KU hockey team and the broadcaster Gabe Daniel. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And we continue on with our Johnny's Tavern interviews. Check out Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence of KU Club Sports. Uh, we are joined here. We, we, we've we talked to several members throughout uh, the different years um, for the KU Hockey Club. And and obviously they've been a very successful club. It's, it's super fun. You, you see all the people um, kind of going around the, uh, just out at KU games, out at basketball games, out at football games, wearing the different gear for the the hockey team, and um, it's become, I think, one of the more popular club sports there is. So uh, now we're joined by Gabe Daniel, who does the broadcasting work. So uh, just take me through that uh, right now. What What is kind of the role w- for you with the club and, and the types of broadcasts you're getting to do for them? So like right now, I serve as the academic chair and the play-by-play broadcaster, of course, and Really, the only responsibility with the academic chair is just you're making sure that players are eligible to play, the schedules line up with the games and all of that, and then just the play-by-play broadcasting. I get some of the equipment from the J school. Like I have all my own personal audio stuff, so that makes half the battle easy. And then it's just getting to the rink, setting up, making sure everything everything's good to go. And those are ran through OBS, and then it streams out to YouTube, so it's just really easy. Just hit start streaming goes live to YouTube and just easy as that. So it's all, it's all video broadcast and everything. Um, yeah. What kind of got you into this position to begin with? How did Ooh. you get to this point? <clears throat> like, are you asking like just the interest in broadcast in general? Or well, how I... in terms of, I, I guess we can start from the top. So, so where are you originally from? Uh, what brought you to KU? And Ooh, okay, so I'm originally. You told me this is your third yeah. year. 
Yeah, so I'm from Mulvane, Kansas, mm-hmm. but a lot of people won't know what Mulvane is. So you either say we have the casino, we're just 30 <laughs> minutes away from Wichita. But yeah, so like I'm I'm from that Wichita area, and my interest for broadcast radio started back. I, I want to say middle school, where like it's just that's when they start pushing you. Like, all right, you start got to start figuring out what you want to do. Like you're heading to high school, and that's where they get get you ready for college. And I knew I wanted to go into radio, and it was to honor my father's memory. He lost his battle with cancer back in 2012, but he had worked for KFDI country radio station so I sort of grew up you grew up around it yeah Yeah. grew up going to the studio and all that and then it wasn't until sophomore year of high school where I really like wanted to give play-by-play a try like for hockey specifically uh just because whenever I'd be playing on the video games I'd like announce the game as it's going on which as I've met more broadcasters I find that's more normal which makes me feel better (laughs) about it at least but, yeah, and then that sophomore year is where I got my start with the Wichita Junior Thunder. It's a junior hockey team. They're not around anymore. That league's also not around anymore. And by the time my senior year rolled around, I was just looking for any school that had a hockey program where I could possibly uh, go and call games for. So I started looking at some of those schools out in Missouri, the good ones, of course. So, like, Missouri <laughs> State, McKendree, Lindenwood. Mm-hmm. I uh, never once thought about the one wearing black and gold. So I wish I could say the same. Unfortunately, I, I hope people don't <laughs> yeah, hold that against the, me. There was that. I picked the right one. I picked the right one. Yeah, there was that. And then once I got to KU, like I started just like knocking on the door of like the hockey club. Uh, this was back when Aaron Cole was the president at the time. I just started like DMing the club, and I'm like, "Hey, like, do you guys need a broadcaster?" Which I think it started out as a tweet first. And then they saw it. It kind of got a little bit of traction, and then that's when I started just exchanging messages. Uh, I took my first tour at KU, and I got to meet with Aaron, and we talked, and they had agreed to let me call the Border Showdown. So I'm a senior in high school, and I get a call, like, KU Hockey's, like, biggest game of the year for the club. So I think that's what really, like, set it in stone. And then I took a second tour that was like the day of the border showdown, just so I could have like the excuse from school. I was already like up here in the area. And after calling that game, like it's just, man, like this is really what I'm about to do. Mm-hmm. And if you go back last year through the season and you just look at the broadcast, like they were choppy. They were from a MacBook Air over that summer. I got the MacBook Pro. And then there's just been a big jump in the quality. Uh, well, not necessarily a big jump in quality, but there's more smooth and consistency from it. So just being able to go from that, that's sort of how I got into it. So hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, no, just, it a, does. just a little too yeah. long, but yeah. Um, I, I think that's cool. That I mean, Kansas is a state in general isn't like known as some huge hockey state necessarily. And obviously they, they have hockey in certain ways, but I, I think that's cool that because I would have almost envisioned that you had some sort of love for broadcast. Maybe you did something in high school, and then you came to Kansas, and you're like, oh, I'll, I'll try out this hockey thing. So this was something where you were specifically like, no, I, I want to do something with hockey. You love hockey. Did yeah. you play hockey at all growing up? I guess what what got your love for the sport? You know, um, ooh, so this sort of goes back to my dad. Um, it was, I believe, like fourth grade. The teachers, like, this is the part of the year where there's no more assignments they can really dish out, but like the students have to be there. So they put on the Mighty Ducks movies and 
I guess you could say it's their fault why I love <laughs> hockey so much because those movies, like, I thought they were so cool. And then I Mulvane's a small enough town where at the house I lived in at the time, I could just ride my bike to Dollar General and back, and I found the cheap hockey sticks where if you just tapped them barely against the ground, they'd break. But I thought it was the coolest <laughs> thing ever. It was the best way to get the start. And that's really where I got around hockey. And then, like, the stuff with my dad and a lot of things just changing like at such a young age happened so hockey sort of became the crutch and I just really uh grew with the sport so and I'd imagine you know professionally once you do graduate from KU that that's going to be the goal for you doing some sort of you know professional hockey broadcast yeah. whether it's with you know working your way up from the minors or, or eventually to a professional team is that the ultimate goal uh the ultimate goal is just to love what I'm doing you mm -hmm. know um it's a really competitive market, and I think if I'm just li earning a livable wage calling hockey games, then I think I'm successful enough. And I think that's going to be like the, the biggest factor after college is just finding somewhere where I can call hockey. You know, there's a lot of college programs that don't get enough spotlight, with especially the Frozen Four going on, and those games are so fun to watch on TV. I could only imagine how fun yeah. they'd be to call. So. Yeah, we were just airing the Westwood One coverage of the Frozen Four here on uh, KLWN the other night. Um, so I, I guess as far as the club side of things goes, uh, how much fun has it been to interact with, I don't know, the different players and, and the different staff members of the club and, and what this club has kind of meant, I think, to you and, and both the university? I mean, the, the club's meant everything to me just because it's it's the reason why I came to KU. And I, I don't know, I'm entering my... I guess you could say it's my fourth and a half year or like my fifth just because I did sort of jump in on the train with them like as I was in my senior year of high school. But it's it's just been amazing. The, the friendships I've made, uh, I, I don't really know how to describe it. It just means everything to me. And I just want to leave the place better than I found it as I'm entering my fourth year. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, do you have a favorite memory or a favorite game or, or something that really sticks Ooh. out to you about, I don't know, one of your favorite moments that you've gotten to broadcast for the team? I, I kind of felt this question coming on the way here. I'm thinking, like, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> but the, like, I'd have to say it's either the win against Missouri last year at KCIC, you know, like the small community ice feel with – of course, beating Missouri, that's that's always fun to talk about. And then the one from this season would definitely be our Hockey Fights Cancer Weekend because that was our first sweep since the national qualifying team was here last. And just a lot of the guys knew how much that weekend was going to mean to me just with Hockey Fights Cancer. And I know some of the guys on the team had their own personal ties to that weekend. So I think it was just special. And Ella and Annika did a really good job uh, driving a lot of the fundraising stuff into that weekend. So, like, it was just so successful, and not only for the players, but for the staff as well. And that's going to be one I remember a lot. Yeah, we've had Ella and Annika on the show here before, and, and you can tell they do a great job with the, the club and everything. Um, so, I guess, uh, are you getting to go on the road for some of these broadcasts? Or are you just doing the ones at home? How does that work? You know, uh, if there's a game on the schedule, that's the game where I'm there trying to set up. And, you know, we've had a couple of bumps in, in the road, like, trying to set up. But I think this was way, this was a way better year compared to last year. We, um, The only road trip I 
can't remember us setting up games for was like the ones in Missouri, but their rink isn't the greatest internet wise. Uh, it, it was impossible to get a live connection there, but I wasn't able to go that weekend anyway. I went back to Wichita. Wait, no, I didn't go back to Wichita for that one. I was in Independence for the preseason game because I was helping out a little bit with media there. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, as far as the club goes, you know, I I don't know because typically when we have club members in here, there's ways that they're looking for fundraisers for support. Um, obviously with the KU hockey team, they sell apparel, and that's a way to support the program and everything. From your sense of things, is that all kind of lumped together with, you know? the the fundraising side of things because obviously you said you have your own equipment like uh, I'm sure it costs money to whether it's driving there or you know keep the equipment and stuff like that um, is there ways that people can help fundraise for the club for your side of things with the broadcast you know that's something I haven't really looked into um, I think just like with the club in general is how we typically try to fundraise and a lot of that just goes like from you said like the apparel orders like the jersey orders help out a lot and people love them like especially like when one store ends we're always being asked like when's the next one going to open up and I think that's really cool just it's I don't know it's impossible to go to a basketball game now and not see one because normally it was me and I'd stand out but now I look around I'm like oh hey like they're wearing (laughs) one of the club jerseys so but like when it comes to fundraising I think it's just helping out with by ordering stuff from our online stores and then sometimes going out to the occasional percentage night that we have. But from a broadcast standpoint, I don't really think that there is much fundraising right now. So, And then uh, as far as the rest of the, the year goes, is the season done for this year for hockey? Yeah, so the season's done, but uh, we have our executive board elections um, Next week on Wednesday, and then like the exit interviews, like with the rec staff on Thursday of next week. So, and like playing wise, yes, but the season's almost done, like for the off ice stuff too. Mm-hmm. So, and then you'll reboot again in what August, September when yeah, the new school so year starts. Once everybody starts to get back on a campus, that's when we try to get back into the swing of things. We'll have our like staff interest form goes out soon. Where people, if they're interested in getting involved, they can fill that out. We'll reach out to them. And then once everybody's like back on campus, we have our orientation, tryouts, and then just jump right in mm-hmm. to the game schedule. Are you looking forward to next year already? Is it something where you're already chomping at the bit to get back to it? Or are you going to enjoy the, the next couple months off? Uh, you know, I at the same time I want to say I'm going to try to enjoy the next couple months off but I'm trying to make a run for vice president mm-hmm. so you know just I'll keep you busy yeah in the broadcast yeah. and vice president yeah so, so just you know try to end my last year with the club with a little bit of a bang try something new and just see where it takes me it, like there, there's never rest I always feel like there's something I could be doing for the club so that's awesome well, Gabe, I appreciate you coming in here. I appreciate you spending some time and, and sharing your side of things with the club and everything. And uh, just one more time, uh, the way that people can help support the KU Hockey Club is? You know, just by following us on our social medias, we have our apparel orders go out every so often. We have percentage nights. You know, just interacting with those really helps us out. And I know for the uh, KU-Missouri game this year, they wore some awesome uniforms um, talking to the head coach, 
several weeks ago. He said at some point they're hoping to get those up for sale. If they do, that'll be an auto purchase for me because it's the uh, 1912 Jayhawk with uh, a cool little hockey jersey. So you can check that out with all their awesome jersey sales. Gabe, I appreciate the time and coming in here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. All right, that's Gabe Daniels. He is the uh, broadcaster for the KU hockey team and obviously does the academic stuff as well. Maybe he'll be the VP next year and we'll get him in again for uh, next season with the KU Club interviews. This KU Club interview has been brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. Go on out. You can get a great bite to eat from Nuke Lelouch Pizza to uh, some of their great, I don't know, I love their sweet potato fries. You can get the Wilson Wings, smother everything I eat now in Wilson Wing wing Sauce. So uh, check that out at Johnny's Tavern. Feel like you're part of the neighborhood and say hi to uh, Rick. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. We opened the show here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk talking about the visits aplenty for KU. Harrison Ingram's getting pushed back. Hunter Dickinson's scheduled for later this week. Uh, some Primo Spears stuff. Uh, there was one guy that uh, got mentioned today for a visit later this week that is certainly of interest. His name is Artario Morris, and we'll tell you why coming up here Shortly, I did want to talk a little RCST trivia at the top here. So um, we are starting RCST trivia next week. It'll start next Monday. Will be the first round. Uh, that'll be the first round next Monday and the following Monday. So the weeks of April 24th and May 1st will be the uh, first round matchups for you with RCST trivia. If you're new to the event, this will be our fourth year of running it. We have a 64 person bracket where we pit together fans, you listeners, everybody who loves the show, people who are knowledgeable about KU, and we put you all in a bracket. It's a single elimination bracket, and it's a fun time. We do KU basketball trivia. You know, we have we have different tiers of questions. We have a really easy all the way to our really hard. So, like, really easy could span anything from what is KU's mascot to, um, you know, uh, what is Coach Self's first name? Right. I don't know that I'd be stuff. able to. I don't know that I'd be able to get what's KU's mascot. <laughs> but then you go all the way. Yeah. Then you go to like the medium, and you could get some. I don't know. Uh, like uh, definitely tougher stuff. Like uh, what this Jayhawk led the team with thirty three points and seventeen rebounds in the nineteen fifty two title game. Clyde Lavallette. And That's then you can get question. Uh, for uh, the people who have been in this before, you've heard Clyde Lavelle's name enough that, I mean, you Clyde Lavelle is such a, a knowledgeable yeah. person yeah. that you should know. And then you go to like the really hard ones and you uh, end up with ones that are obviously very hard. Like this Jayhawk earned all big eight from 1959 to 1961. That would be Bill, Bill Bridges. So like you have a different variant and it's really fun. Uh, you get to compete against each other. You get to maybe make new friends. Uh, you get to be on the radio here. You get to hear your family and friends listening. And it's just a fun competition. It's free to join. And yep. You can win awesome, awesome prizes. Um, I don't think I talked about last week on the airwaves. Uh, we were still kind of tightening some stuff up and finalizing some stuff with some of the prizes that we're going to be giving out. We have a bunch of awesome sponsors, as we always do. And we appreciate our sponsors because without them, this stuff is impossible. Johnny's Tavern, Pella Windows and Doors, 23rd Street Brewery, River Rat Print and Skate, Mini Jerseys, Jayhawk Trophy, Home Field Apparel, they are all hooking us up with some awesome prizes for this event. So if you make it to the Sizzling 16, you don't even have to win the whole thing to win prizes. You just win two games. You go to the Sizzling 16, you're going to get a gift card to 23rd Street Brewery. You're going to get an RCST Trivia t-shirt thanks to River at Print and Skate. You make it to the Grade 8, you're going to get a blue or white Kansas basketball mini jersey for mini jerseys. You're going to get a t-shirt from Home Field Apparel. And you're going to get auto entry into the next year's tournament. 
You make the Phenomenal Four, you're getting a $50 gift card to Johnny's Tavern. You're getting an RCST Trivia Phenomenal Four t-shirt, RCST Trivia Phenomenal Four hat, Phenomenal Four trophy, a one seed in next year's RCST Trivia. Then if you make it to the title game, you're getting another gift card to 23rd Street Brewery. You're going to get an engraved water bottle from Jayhawk Trophy. Same goes if you win third place. You win the title game, here's the big wig sponsorships. A big screen TV. You're going to get an overnight stay at a hotel with a gift card to get some food and drink for basically a staycation. You're going to get the RCST Trivia Championship Trophy, lifetime entrance into RCST Trivia. And all those prizes I just mentioned, they accumulate. You can get them for winning different rounds. And there's even a couple other prizes that we have that I know we have coming in, but I haven't brought up yet because I still want to make sure they get finalized and everything, that there's going to be even more than that stuff. So if that sounds fun... And if you know KU stuff, even if you don't know KU stuff, the whole point of this is to be fun. It's a fun trivia tournament just for you to possibly win some prizes and, you know, be a part of the show and everything. You should join. So we're we're, we're starting it next Monday. The rest of this week, we're going to continue to have entries. I believe last I checked, we have 12 open spots left. If you want to join, all you got to do, you find us on Twitter at RCST1320. You can tweet at us. You can DM us. You can reply to our tweet about it. Whichever way you can get in contact with us. Just let us know that you want to join trivia, right? You can just respond trivia. You can just be like, hey, I'd like to join. Whatever whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do to try to get on board. Um, you can also, if you don't have Twitter, you probably have email. Like, everybody has email. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. Email us. Let us know you want to enter and we'll get your information, get you registered and everything. And then you can be part of this wonderful, awesome event. And then later this week, we'll have a bracket reveal. Um, We will let you know where everybody's put in and uh, what the schedule is and everything for the first few weeks of everything. So um, yeah, just join, man. Join. It's it's awesome. It's a fun time. Uh, The one thing that I, I have noticed, there are some people who... Maybe you've been in this in the past and they haven't done as well as they thought. Like they 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 viewed themselves as somebody who knows a lot of KU stuff and they're very knowledgeable and they've lost early in the tournament. Don't feel embarrassed. There are a lot of people who know their KU stuff. And, you know, if you lose in the first round, that doesn't mean that you don't know your KU stuff. There's Dude, a lot of I'm other people. I'm pretty confident I would lose in the first round. Yeah. I mean, like it, it's I mean, I've seen some of the very, I've seen some of the hard and very hard questions you have. It's hard. There's, I don't need I mean, this it's it's crazy. You should not it's feel embarrassed. Tournament. The point of this is to have fun. And possibly win some free prizes. So yeah. don't feel embarrassed. We're all trying to have fun with this, you know. Um, so don't be afraid to join. Don't be afraid to join. And don't think that, oh, if you lost in the first round before that, like, you know, people are going to look down upon you now or something like that. Or Dude, that it's just like the regular NCAA tournament. It's all about the match. Yeah. And then that's the other thing, too. Um, I, I mean, it really is. You could run into somebody who's just, like, unbelievable in the first <laughs> round. Uh, that's the other thing, though. Like, I, I don't think, uh, okay. There are certain people who have been listening to our show, listening to RCST trivia over the years, and they might be able to to recollect like, oh, of course I know Isaac. He wins every, or like he does super well every year. Or like Tyler, he won last year. Like Eric Hansey always does super well. And these guys that, that maybe you know their name because they've done super well. If you ask those same people, could you name this person who lost in the first round? They'd be like, I don't remember. They're not going to remember. So like, who cares? Join. It's fun. You got some prizes. All right. That's enough said for RCST trivia for now. <laughs> So I, w- I do want to talk about this Arterio Morris thing because it is a very, uh, it's not not very uh, black and white situation. Not like a simple, 
oh, Hunter Dickinson's good, take him. Like, that's a very black and white situation, right? Artario Morris is a transfer from Texas. He is a former five-star point guard. He was listed on 24-7 Sports as the number 16 player in the class of 2022. This is actually funny. His uh, 24-7 sports comp was John Morant. So, I mean, if you want to talk about a good comp, like, okay. That's pretty that's good. interesting. That's not bad. And uh, he, he went to Texas for year one. If you remember, they had a lot of good guards. They had a lot of good veteran guards. Marcus Carr was coming back. You had um, the, the sixth uh, man of the year. Sixth man of the Rice. year, Sir Jabari Rice. You had Tyrese uh, Hunter. Tyrese Hunter, in. right. There were a lot of guys in front of you. So you might look at the stats and go, oh, he only played 11 minutes per game. He only averaged like four and a half points per game. Like, how good really is he? Well, that's why. He was behind all those other guys. But like when he was on the floor, you saw he was a real athlete. He would have a real impact. He played well against Kansas in the Big 12 championship game. He shot really well as the season went on uh, and over the last couple months of the season. I mean, there's a, there's a real chance that if he would have just came back to Texas this past season, that he could have been like, I don't, I don't necessarily mean all Big 12 first team, but like that he would have been all Big 12 on one of the three teams next year because uh, with Serge Barry Rice gone and Marcus Carr gone and Tyrese Hunter testing in the draft, he could have been the go-to starting point guard as a second-year player who takes a big step forward and averages you know, 14 points per game and five or six assists on a good Texas team and been an all-Big 12 type of player. Very high-potential player. He is also six foot three, which is a combo guard. If you're looking at fits next to like Dewan Harris, for instance, you're going to need somebody who can play next to him. Well, if you're six foot three, that kind of you enables you to do so. He gives you athleticism. Um, as as much as he wasn't like a great three point shooter, that's one question you have coming in. He did still shoot thirty three percent from three, which usually for freshmen we see those players like that's one thing in college basketball that usually gets better year to year. Maybe your athleticism won't improve as much. Like usually you're just the guy that you are, but he has the athleticism. It's the shooting really improves over the time that you're in college. He shot thirty three percent from three. So if that bumps up to 35% as a sophomore, 36%, you know, that, that that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. He yeah. shot really well in free throws too, which sometimes can be an indicator of that. So all that sounds great. Athletic guard would fit next in, in terms of size next to uh Dewan Harris. He is no somebody who's known for playing hard. So like that's a Bill Self fit. He's known for playing really good defense. Uh, I give you another ball hand. Like all, all those things from an encore perspective, awesome fit at Kansas. Yeah. Here's the problem. Arterio Morris is dealing with an off-the-court issue. And this is something that came into play before this past season started at Texas, enough to a point of where, for some, I'm sure it was a bit of a surprise that he even ended up playing this past season at Kansas and that there wasn't right, some sort of Texas. repercussion. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, at Texas. Um, and there wasn't some sort of repercussions. He had a alleged summer altercation with an ex-girlfriend. And currently, this is going through a lot of the different channels, and we don't know what's going to come out of this. But he was uh, arrested on June 2nd. He was never suspended by the team. And um, you can take that for what it's worth. Obviously, Chris Beard was the coach at the time, and, and he's had some of his off-the-court stuff nonetheless. But um, basically... Uh, the situation that happened here, um, according to Frisco police, Morris was arrested after officers were called to the ex-girlfriend's house. Uh, the ex-girlfriend told police she and Morris had broken up the day before and that a relative who didn't know about the breakup let him inside. The woman told police that Morris grabbed her arm and pulled her off a bed. 
then grabbed the front of her sports bra, which she sh- she said caused an injury on her neck. Police reported seeing a three-inch abrasion on the woman's neck and arrested Morris on a charge of assault, causing injury to a family member, which includes dating relationships in Texas. The charge is a Class A misdemeanor that carries up to one year in jail and up to $4,000 in fines if convicted. Morris was released from Denton County Jail on June 3rd after posting a $3,500 bond. He was allowed to remain on the team, and Texas officials said then the matter was turned over to the campus Title IX office. Um, Morris declined to say if he had met, this was earlier uh, from ESPN, the school's Title IX investigators. Um, and I guess uh, there's only so much that can be talked about because um, there are lawyers that kind of have been working through this and, and working with this. Um, there was that incident. There were also some, I guess, videos that I won't go into because it seems like uh, Texas and some of their lawyers basically got those off the internet and kind of scrubbed them away, but those would not be good. Um, so, you know, I, this is a weird situation. It's, I don't know, weird is the wrong word. This is an uncomfortable situation. I am a, I am a firm believer. I'm a big believer in second chances. I am a big believer that if you did something bad, if it leads you to be a better person from it, if you move on from it, if you... You know, we've seen people mess stuff up and then they become an advocate for something or they do something in the community and are constantly, you know, helping other people out who have gone through a situation of something that they messed up with or being an advocate in some way that helps other people avoid those mistakes or helps out in the community that I think you can become a better person from bad situations. Doesn't excuse what happens in those situations, but, um, you know. I am a believer in second chances in that regards, but you have to, I guess, you know, you have to be willing to understand that you were at fault and, and try to be a better person for it. Like, yeah, for instance, well, look at the Dalen Wilson. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The DUI. I think he became a better person for it. He owned up to it. He, uh, um, became a leader. Have it happen became again. He became a leader, leader off it. Right. Yeah. Doesn't excuse what happened, but, those are the type of things you give second chances for. Now, is a DUI the same thing as as like domestic violence? Just depend on how bad the DUI is, right? There's people who get DUIs where they're so messed up that they can kill people. Um, there's some people who get DUIs and they're barely over the legal limit and it's still not good, but right, there there's different levels of things. With domestic violence, there's different levels of things. There's, you know, we we we've seen the Kareem Hunt kicking a girl when she's down. We've seen Ray Rice like beating a girl on an elevator. Um you know, and and I don't. It's very uncomfortable for me to talk about this in the sense of like, oh, well, if we're ranking, like, I don't want to rank what domestic violence is better than work. You know what I mean? But yeah. there is different levels of some of this stuff, and I'm not going to compare all this because it's all bad. I will say, typically, unless the DUI does lead to like endangering a person as a society, I think there there are more people that end up getting DUIs because. Um, they do think that, oh, I'm okay to drive. I have a point, and then they end up blowing a point oh nine or point one zero. And, you know, again, you shouldn't be doing that. But that as a society, we view domestic violence to be worse than that situation, right? Um, so with Morris, the case is still being fought and not one where, to my knowledge, that remorse has been shown, but that could be a legal thing. I, I don't know here. I, I Again, there, there are a lot of, parts of this where it's not just uncomfortable to talk about because it's a a serious legal thing but because 
you know, there's certain things that just can't be talked about from the legal standpoint that, I don't know, we may never hear from Arteria Morrison. KU dealt with some similar stuff of this uh, with like LeGerald Vic. And they kind of fought through that with Vic. On the other hand, though, there were lots of ups and downs that eventually led to him uh, to where KU didn't want him back for his senior season, convinced otherwise, and then he ended up leaving halfway through his senior season. I think from a Kansas PR perspective, this would be an absolute nightmare. You went from the LeGerald Vic off the field stuff or off the court stuff, the Josh Jackson off the court stuff, the Carlton Bragg off the court stuff, to then going to the NCAA stuff with the IRP, and now you would be going to this. I think you want to avoid bad PR at all costs. Um, yeah, I, I think the the tough part about the situation is that, as you, as you kind of alluded to, is that it's still ongoing, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is still an ongoing situation where I think there's going to be a trial at some point. Uh, I don't know what specifically the date is or anything like that is, but I think that's the issue is where this is a situation where if this was a situation where it was already had gone to trial and there were they had already been deemed you know one way or the other whatever the decision was and it was kind of a, a closed case type situation, then maybe this would be a different discussion. But it, it's still open, right? right. So this could be a situation where if you bring in Morris and he, you know he decides to commit to Kansas or whatever, but then later yeah, on down he, the line, uh, like more comes out about it, or if there's a year in jail, yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. More comes out about it, or if there is guilt found, then obviously. At that point, you'd have to, if you're Kansas, you'd have to issue a suspension or handle it some way or another, right? And that's where I think you get into the situation with KU where it would be difficult from a from a PR standpoint, but also difficult from a basketball standpoint because you already know Kansas has limited themselves to 12 scholarships or one less scholarship than 13. And this would be a situation where if you bring on a guy that suddenly becomes unavailable because of these legal issues, that not only hurts you off the court, with the the PR side of it, but it also would hurt you on the court, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's a it's a tricky situation for KU to navigate because this is obviously a, a very talented basketball player, a guy who was a top twenty recruit in the country, uh, and has showed his abilities at Texas. But when you have something like this, where it is still an ongoing situation, it does make it tough because you have to determine, hey, you know, is maybe maybe this guy, they Kansas talks to him and he has shown that that he you know has reflected on this or whatever and is a better person because of it but even with that still like hanging over there hanging over his head and then once it becomes a part of your program it essentially becomes something hanging over your program's head yeah you're essentially taking on all of that yeah so that's to me the difficult part of this is that if it was just a a situation where the case was already closed and guilt had been determined one way or the other or whatever then maybe you might feel a little bit better about it but because it's still an open case it's it's difficult to navigate yeah and i think it sucks for from a fan perspective i mean i know there's some fans who don't care about this and they're just like ah take him all i care about is that right and that you know if if that's how you want to view things that's fine but i know for a lot of fans it it sucks because you're almost having to do mental gymnastics with yourself and get over the fact of what happened to then root for your team on the floor and and that kind of sucks um and so you know, if if he does get cleared of all wrongdoing in the court, then KU will easily be able to take that and be like, well, if the court cleared him, then why wouldn't we, right? But yeah. we do know that in a lot of these domestic violence situations, uh, a lot of stuff ends up getting overstepped or ends up maybe being hard to fully prove in court and that a lot of guys, uh, I don't know, a lot of people, I should say, end up um, getting off with more than they should necessarily. And I'm not saying that would be the case here. Like, it might, it might not. Um, I am just saying that, um, there's a lot of kind of stickiness that goes around with this. So I, I do think to your notion about what you said with, with KU talking to the kid, the, there's the, the, the visit set up for this Thursday. 
most often when KU is setting up a visit with a recruit, it is under the guise of we are trying to sell this recruit on why he should come here, on why uh, we would be a good fit for him, on yeah. how he'd get the, uh, the why best he facilities, play for Kansas. Right. why he should come here. And I'm, I'm sure there's a, a certain extent of that, that when Artario Morris does come, KU will be trying to convince him, you know, this is why you should come here. But I think this one more so than other visits is going to be a vetting process. I think part of KU wanting to have him come visit is that they can gather that intel, that they can talk to the kid, that they can uh, see if he does feel remorseful or more about the situation that maybe is not public, either positive or negative on either side of the corn so that they can be prepared for, that they can get a sense of the kid. Because um, a lot of times the, the other players will show them around, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. they'll they'll show them around and be able to tell the coach like we like him or we don't like him, um, and and to have those things come together, I think are going to be very important. So I would just say this: I don't have the answers on what all happened, on how forgivable this is. If he is truly remorse, remorseful or trying to be better now, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But I sure as heck know that Kansas will get a solid player with this scholarship, one way or another. And I am of the opinion that I would not be wanting to take this risk as good as I think Artario Morris could be, as much of a fit on the floor as it is with Bill Self and with this KU team, as great as it is. I'm of the opinion, go for someone else, but we'll wait and see what KU does. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, let's uh, get into a little KU baseball, KU softball talk next. This is RCST. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.